What is happening? This is Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World in Sports for the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast going. Subscribe, download, follow, rate, and review the sports talk podcast that engages the brain and tantalizes your soul. The daily happenings of what's going on in the NFL, NBA, college football, and basketball. My Georgetown Hoyas with America's coach Patrick Ewing and giving you some side chatter about what's happening and how the world is turning in AEW and WWE. Wendell's World in Sports. Download, subscribe, follow, rate, and review anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the podcast, in the world of sports. I want to thank you so much for listening and watching this YouTube episode of Wendell's World of Sports. I thank you so much. Got special dedication going out to you. And if you could just do me one favor, I would really appreciate it. For those who are watching on YouTube, if you could just go ahead and subscribe to this channel and like this video, much appreciated. And if you're listening to this netcast, if you're listening to this podcast, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, if you could just download, subscribe, rate, review, and follow the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to, I would very, very, very much appreciate that. I really would. All right, let's go ahead and speak about what happened this past Thursday through Saturday down the strip a little bit in Las Vegas, Nevada. The 2022 NFL draft is now over. I guess you could say the theme for this draft down here in Vegas was there was a lot of trades happening and there were a lot of uh, offensive and defensive linemen taken along with wide receivers taken, but it was a ghost town when it came to quarterbacks being taken, which I guess didn't surprise me if you were taking a look at the prospects and where were they, they were supposed to go, that this wasn't going to be a situation where you were going to have three or four or five quarterbacks being drafted and you weren't going to have the uh, quarterbacks available to be drafted that were supposed to be prognosticated to be franchise quarterbacks or starting quarterbacks. There were projects such as Malik Willis, who I thought if you read all of the uh, mock drafts, he was going to go either to the Carolina Panthers at number six. He was going to go to the Atlanta Falcons at number eight. He was going to go maybe to the Pittsburgh Steelers at number 20. He was going to go somewhere in the first round. I compared it on my last podcast when you're speaking about Malik Willis as a prospect and the reason why a team would draft him was because this was the Trey Lance situation of this season. If you remember, Trey Lance was a guy who came out of North Dakota State, South Dakota State, one of those uh, schools, um, missed an entire season because of COVID, only played in one 
you know, pseudo football game uh, that past season uh, was a guy who is gifted in terms of his physical abilities, in terms of his traits, strong arm, that type of thing. But because of the experience, because of the lack of experience, because of the situation at South Dakota, North Dakota State where he didn't get a lot of playing time or play a lot of high-level competition, that the 49ers were basically drafting him on just raw potential and talent alone. And you get into the lap of Kyle Shanahan, who's turned the careers around that many quarterbacks made Matt Ryan an MVP when he was the offensive coordinator at with the Atlanta Falcons. He brought the best out of RG3 his rookie year in Washington, then turned around and made something out of Kirk Cousins. So this is a guy, you know, got the best out of Jimmy Garoppolo throughout his career. So this was a guy when they decided him and John Lynch, the president of football operations for the 49ers, when they decided that, you know what, Trey Lance is going to be our guy because he's got the type of traits that would fit our system, and you give me that type of talent, you give me that type of potential with what I can do with quarterbacks, I can get the most out of this kid. So when the draft choice was made last season with the number three pick after the 49ers traded up, to get Trey Lance. There wasn't a whole lot of, oh my goodness, this is terrible, this is horrible, what are you doing? It was because of the reputation of Kyle Shanahan and the body of work that he had working with quarterbacks and turning them around and making them MVPs and making them very highly paid, skilled, respectful football players at the quarterback position. It was a situation, well, yeah, he has all of this talent, speaking of Trey Lance, Mike Shanahan is going to be the guy, or Kyle Shanahan is going to be the best guy in that position to get the most out of him. So, you know, fast-forwarding this over to the 2022 draft, Malik Willis, who many scouts said had more talent than Trey Lance, I thought there would be a situation where maybe a team that was looking for a quarterback, maybe not for this upcoming season, but a little bit more down the line, room, you know, the 2023 or 2024 season, would be able to get this guy who was, who I've been told was written about as being the most talented football player as far as the, the um, quarterbacks in this draft class, that they would go ahead and take him, mold him, groom him, be patient with him, and then he would be rip-roaring and ready to go when the time came. And that was going to be happening in the first round. Well, you know, guess what? He lasted all the way to the third round in the mid-'80s where the Tennessee Titans selected him. And look, man, it, it doesn't matter in terms of where you're selected in terms of the opportunities that you'll have to uh, get on the football field and try to do your thing. So, hey, man, Malik Willis was drafted number one by the Tennessee Titans or number two or number three or number seven or number six or number five. The situation is there is like, you know what, I don't want nobody to give me nothing. Open up the door and I'll get it myself. Well, the door has been open for the opportunity for Malik Willis to go ahead and show that uh, he was a quarterback worthy of being taken and drafted a lot higher than he was drafted. And like I mentioned before, with Ryan Tannehill, who I guess at the age of 32, I guess the, I guess the plan with those guys was to be to get Willis ready for not maybe next season, but the season after that sometime around there, depending upon how Ryan Tannehill plays. So in, in all lessons, um, Willis got what – Willis got the the opportunity. Willis is going to get the opportunity to show that he is a guy that's 
should be taken seriously in a few years in the uh, in the NFL. But he's going to have to uh, start from ground zero and learn the NFL game and learn the NFL way of life before he gets that opportunity. And it really, if you think about it, with the quarterbacks that were drafted or the quarterbacks that were draft eligible, the only player really who has a decent chance to be a starter for their team is Kenny Pickett. The Steelers drafted him. The Pittsburgh Steelers drafted him with the number 20 pick in this draft, the reason why they didn't draft Willis over at Pickett, my guess is because they want themselves a starter, and they want a starter a lot sooner than what Malik Willis could provide for them in the near future. If it was a situation where you take a look, you know, the Steelers have had so much luck, including 15-plus years of Ben Roethlisberger, that you really hadn't had the opportunity to, A, draft the quarterback to groom and get ready for them to get rid of or when the day comes that Ben Roethlisberger is no longer NFL starting quarterback ready, which he wasn't last season, which was his last season in the NFL. Now you get yourself a Kenny Pickett after going ahead and signing a backup quarterback or signing um, Mitchell Trubisky. So we will see. We will see what happens going on with that. But as I mentioned before, man, it was a complete surprise that a guy who many people thought would be going somewhere in the top 10 fell all the way to the third round of the 2022 NFL Draft. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So you take a look at the top seven, top eight picks of the NFL Draft, the top nine picks of the NFL Draft, the top, top seven picks were either defensive players, cornerbacks, defensive linemen, or they were offensive linemen. Eight of the first nine picks were defensive players and offensive linemen. Jacksonville drafted Trayvon Walker from Georgia with the number one pick. I know that uh, a lot of people were sitting there talking about Aiden Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson, they should have drafted Aiden Aiden Hutchinson because he was the safe pick. I don't know, man. Someone's got to define a little bit better what a safe pick is. Because to me, my definition of a safe pick is someone who he's not going to be, his chances of being a bust are slim, but his chances of being like that generational great player or that or that perennial Pro Bowl player is it, it, not probably going to be happening. My definition of a safe pick for someone that's drafting this high in the NFL draft is someone who, Every Blue Moon is going to make a Pro Bowl, but he's going to be a solid, solid starter for your team for a while. The Jacksonville Jaguars said, no, we don't want that, man. We want someone who's going to have some some upside. We want somebody where we feel that if we go ahead and make the connection and we go ahead and we make the correct correct teaching and how to do the things and everything like that, then Trayvon Walker has the opportunity to be a stud, to be a star, to be a perennial pro bowler, and to be a difference maker in the NFL. So with Jacksonville, and, you know, we take a look at the recent uh, history of Jacksonville where they've drafted in the top 10, 14 of the last 15 drafts, and so far none of them have turned out, whether you're speaking about Leonard Fournette, whether you're speaking about Blake Bortles, whether you're speaking about Deion Jordan, whether you're speaking about Deion Jordan went to Miami. But when you're speaking about all of the players over the last decade and a half that the Jacksonville Jaguars has, has selected, and none of them for the most part has panned out or had any real staying power with the Jaguars organization and moving them forward to be consistent playoff and conference championship and Super Bowl championship contenders, 
then a situation where drafting Trayvon Walker might be a little bit might be a little bit shaky. If you take a look at Trent Bulky's uh, resume for drafting players, but in a situation like this, I understand where they're coming from, and it's kind of like you know what, man, what do we got to lose? What exactly do we have to lose? Now, I, I, this is unconventional, but for me, I would have seen what I could do, and maybe there wasn't the opportunity to really do this, but. I'm building my team around, if I'm Jacksonville, I'm building my team around Trevor Lawrence. That's going to be my guy. That's going to be my bell cow. Trevor Lawrence, outside of the man who's writing the checks, the actual owner, Mr. Khan, of the Jacksonville Jaguars, he is, Trevor Lawrence, the most important part of the organization, bar none. Not the head coach, not the position coach, not the folks in the front office, not any of those folks. After Sean Kahn, the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, the most important commodity, the most important person associated with the Jacksonville Jaguars is Trevor Lawrence. We have got ourselves a winning lottery pick. We have ourselves a generational great, a perspective, a, a, a prospect who is, you know, projected to be a generational great quarterback. What exactly can we do to get the most out of the investment that we have in Trevor Lawrence? And Javon Walker or Trayvon Walker might be great. He might turn out to be awesome. But he doesn't play on offense. He's not catching the football. He's not running the football. He's not blocking for Trevor Lawrence. For me, the whole situation is going to be centered around Trevor Lawrence. So if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars and I see that this is a draft class that is rich in wide receivers, not just at the beginning, not just the first five or six, but in terms of just depth is concerned, I'm going to be doing everything I can to give my quarterback, my generational quarterback, my franchise great quarterback, my pro- projected Hall of Famer, if everything turns out correctly, quarterback, a guy who could be not just the face of the franchise, but the face of the league if everything turns out correctly, and if he lives up to his potential, and if he lives up to his talent, then I'm going to do everything humanly possible to surround Trevor Lawrence with the talent that he needs to succeed. So, again, I would be looking, if I were the Jaguars, I would be looking to trade down. I would have been looking to see if I could trade down to go ahead and maybe get myself a Garrett Wilson maybe get myself a Chris Olave, then maybe get myself a Drake London to give Trevor Lawrence that weapon that he could use. You saw how well the Cincinnati Bengals and you saw how much the acquisition of or the drafting of uh, Jamar Chase had on the production of Joe Burrow. Now, I don't know if any of these guys, if you're speaking about Garrett, if you're speaking about Williams, if you're speaking about uh, any of these uh, receivers who were supposed to be going in the first round, I don't know if any of those guys could are going to equate to Jamar Chase and have the impact on the field that Jamar Chase had his first year in the NFL. But if you take a look and if you see what's happening with all of these wide receivers getting paid, and you're speaking now about a premium in terms of what a team needs to be successful, and you saw what the Miami Dolphins did in acquiring Tyreek Hill. You saw what the Las Vegas Raiders did in acquiring Devontae Adams. You saw exactly what happened on draft day when the Philadelphia Eagles made that move for A.J. Brown and they gave him a $100 million contract for four years with $57 million of that guaranteed. You see now that normally in the 
summer, normally in the offseason, what keeps the buzz going for the NFL a lot of times is issues or drama with the quarterback. Aaron Rodgers wants to be traded. Russell Wilson, while not saying he wants to be traded, if he was traded, these are the teams that would be he would like to go to. The whole Deshaun Watson situation last season, even before his legal issues came into play, his request to be traded. So normally, when you're speaking about the offseason, it's normally quarterback-filled drama. This season so far in the offseason, it's all about the wide receivers. It's all about uh, Debu Samuel going ahead and talking about how he wants to be traded. We're, we're speaking about the bags of cash, of money, big-time money that these wide receivers are getting. So you're, you're looking at right now in the NFL, man, where the hard salary cap, you can't balance. This ain't the 1970s where you could have a – Pittsburgh Steeler team for seven or eight years, which had loads and loads of Hall of Fame awesome talent on both the offensive and, fo- and defensive side of the football. I mean, you can't have yourself a team with a dynasty like the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 70s and have Mike Webster at your center, Terry Bradshaw at your quarterback, Rocky Blyer and Franco Harris in the backfield, Lynn Swan and John Stallworth in the at the wide receiver's position, and then on the other side of the football have Jack Lambert, Mean Joe Green, L.C. Greenwood, uh, uh, Jack Ham, Jack Lambert, Mel Blunt, and have that crew, have that nucleus of both offensive and defensive Hall of Fame stars be at your disposal or be on your team for seven, eight years. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way in football anymore. You have to decide in terms of, where do you want your strength to lie in your team? Because it can't be both with the offense and defense because to be that, you're going to have to have productive players. You're going to have to have superstars. You're going to have to have impactful players on both the offense and defensive side of the football. And those players cost you money. So if you take a look at the reason why the Kansas City football team traded Tyreek Hill, they couldn't afford to pay him and still keep a competent offensive line. You take a look at the Green Bay Packers, why they traded uh, uh, lost uh, traded um, Devontae Adams to the Las Vegas Raiders. They didn't want to pay him the bag of cash that he was looking for. You take a look at Debu Samuel, what is his main deal? He wants to get paid. You take a look at A.J. Brown, what was his main situation? He wants to get paid. Though these wide receivers want to get paid. And you can't have yourself a great defense and a great offense when you're paying a wide receiver and an offensive tackle and a quarterback and other skilled players on the offensive side, oobles and oobles of money. So this is all to say that the Jacksonville Jaguars, yeah, they made the draft pick, the first draft pick by drafting a defensive lineman, a guy who has the upside of being an impactful football player, but I think that their direction in terms of what they were focusing on to improve their football team was uh, misguided. Now, again, maybe it was a situation where they were kind of kicking the tires in terms of what the likelihood or what the appetite would be for teams to take that number one pick so they could accumulate, Jacksonville could accumulate picks and then pick wide receivers first round and later on in the draft. Or maybe Jacksonville was at the point to say, you know what, there's been such a plethora of really good receivers in this draft. We can go ahead and we can draft ourselves a defensive lineman who might be a generational great and then go ahead and get ourselves some wide receivers in the second, third, and fourth round. And if you take a look at the most productive players as far as the wide receiver is concerned in this uh, for this past season, none of them were taken with high draft picks with the exception of being Jamar Chase. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, 
Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So Detroit's sitting there saying, oh, you want to grab, take yourself a Trayvon Walker? Cool, we'll go ahead and get ourselves the uh, hometown boy from Ohio, Aiden Hutchinson, uh, from Detroit, from Michigan, or played his football at Michigan. Detroit finished 29th in pressure percentage and 30th in sacks uh, last season. So he's going to be a uh, he's going to be a, uh, a a guy who from day one is going to be counted on to to make an impact. And isn't it isn't it interesting? Because we're sitting up here and we're talking about the number one and the number two pick, and the players that were chosen were both defensive linemen. Now it's so much different in terms of the hoopla. It's so much different in terms of the storylines. It's so much different in terms of the excitement of the first two players being drafted when they're when they're not quarterbacks, right? Last season you had Trevor Lawrence going number one, and you had Zach Wilson going number two. Tasty, delicious, interesting. In 2016 NFL draft you had Jared Goff going number one. You had Carson Wentz going number two. Interesting. 2015, you had Jameis Winston going number one. You had Marcus Mariota going number two. Interesting. 2012, probably the most interesting when you're speaking about who should be number one, who should be number two. Let's bring up the debate. When the Indianapolis Colts was the number one pick, they chose Andrew Luck. The Washington now commanders had the number two pick, and Mike Shanahan and the boys excuse me, drafted RG3 with the number two pick. There's so many more, there's so many more storylines. There's so much more interest when the first two players that are going to be drafted, and we're speaking about, when when you're drafting that high, we're speaking about players who are expected to be franchise players at any position, at whatever position they're being drafted at. But it's that sexy position of the quarterback that gets people talking, that gets people's interest, and gets people's attention. You know, there was no debate about Trayvon Walker and Aiden Hutchinson, who was going to be number one. There was no debate about, man, could this be a situation where the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to rue the day if they go ahead and draft Trayvon Walker over Hayden Hutchinson, just like, you know, we would speak, or unlike we would be speaking about if it was two quarterbacks being taken. If there was two quarterbacks jostling for that number one draft pick, or we would be going on and on. What would be the what would be the outcome? What would be the devastation? What would be the consequences if a team with the number one pick drafted the wrong quarterback? You know, a situation like that. So it it I find it a little bit fascinating. I find it interesting when we're speaking about hey the number one and number two picks for this year's NFL draft were defensive linemen and that went with a yawn, and even leading up to that point, the conversation was not about who should be the number one pick, Trayvon Walker or Aiden Hutchinson. It wasn't about that. It was all about Malik Willis. It was all about other things, not pertaining to the number one and number two selection, if those two draft picks were going to be from the same position. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So number two, the Detroit Lions selected Aiden Hutchinson, the number one pick, the Jacksonville Jaguars selected uh, Trayvon Walker. Then we moved to number three, the Houston Texans. Interesting, interesting pick right here. They drafted Derek Stingley Jr. with the third pick. I saw many mock drafts where he was going to be going anywhere between the number 11 pick to the Washington Commanders all the way down to the 15th or 16th pick. 
But Lovey Smith, the new head coach of the Texans, a defensive-minded guy, and if you're speaking about the AFC now where you're going to have to be dealing, if you're going to win a championship, you're going to have to go through Patrick Mahomes. You're going to have to go through Justin Herbert. You're going to have to go through Russell Wilson. You're going to have to go through Lamar Jackson. You're going to have to go through Joe Burrow. You're going to have to go through Josh Allen. So in the AFC, it is uh, quite wise to get yourself as many premium cornerbacks as possible. Now, Stingley, who missed a lot of time, or I think he missed the entire um, season, either this season or last season, was a guy after his freshman year was considered a top-five pick, one of the best cornerbacks in the game of college football his freshman year. And as I mentioned before, if freshmen were eligible to go to the NFL draft and Stingley declared for the NFL draft, he would definitely be a top-five pick. So... Very yeah, quite sure that the Houston Texans are banking on the hope and prayer that, you know, under a medical staff, which we have, and that type of thing, that he will not be running into the injuries that it caused him to miss so much time. You can't help the club if you're spending your time in the tub. So, Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us with the number four pick. The New York Jets used the first of their two top ten picks in the draft. Sauce Gardner, cornerback of Cincinnati. And, you know what? It was pretty telling. And I'll get the sauce in just a minute, you saw Mr. Saucy Sauce. But it was pretty interesting and telling, the fact that, did you see how many players? I mean, I know that we just, you know, fixated ourselves on how many defensive players from Georgia were drafted in this year's draft. But there was another situation, or there was another, like, ooh, that's interesting point with the amount of players from Cincinnati, not all of them going in the first round, of course, but the amount of players that were drafted for the uh, fr- drafted from Cincinnati and, you know, we're going into the college football playoffs and where we're speaking about, you know, the mid-major schools and these schools outside of the Power Five conferences and did Cincinnati really belong in terms of going up against an Alabama, going up against a Ohio State, going up against those type of talents. I mean, was that a situation where, you know, the Cincinnati uh, football team of that year took advantage of playing lower-tier squads in non-Power 5 conference uh, schools to get themselves into the uh, – get themselves into the opportunity to win a national championship even though they came short against Alabama. Man, that that avenue was not paid for Cincinnati to go down because they were a mid-tier school beating up a bunch of mid-tier football programs with one exception being Notre Dame. Man, that was – if you saw all those players that were drafted, that has some – Cincinnati has some talent. Cincinnati has some real talent, and Luke Fickle – should be applauded for not only the type of talent that he accumulated during his time or during his time at uh, the University of Cincinnati, but also molding them and getting them ready for the opportunity to make a career playing in the NFL. So give it up for the program at Cincinnati and Luke Fickle. That kind of put away some of the doubts and some of the opinions that, well, you know, the – the Cincinnati, um, the Cincinnati football team of uh, college football who made the Final Four uh, didn't have the talent to compete with the squads that also made the college football playoffs. So the New York Jets, uh, once again, selecting Sauce Gardner. Interesting quote here, an interesting note from Pro Football Focus. Gardner never allowed a touchdown reception during his time at Cincinnati. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. So 
you know, we'll see how that works out. Giants, number five, selected Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. Should be a starter for day one at the, um, at the, uh, at the Giants, a, a guy who many people thought was going to be the number one pick in the uh, draft when the season started. Had some poor interview. There were some questions about how much does he love the game of football and all those type of things. So that hurt him a little bit. But, you know, if you're speaking about him being the projected number one draft pick and he falls all the way down, he plummets all the way down to uh, number five, I think that uh, financial-wise he should be okay. The number six pick, the Carolina Panthers drafted Akeem Akwanju of, a, of a North Carolina State, the offensive lineman, one of the best offensive linemen in this draft, an immediate upgrade along the Panthers' offensive line. Here's where the surprise was, because many people were sitting there talking about Malik Willis, Malik Willis, and what was going to be happening with Matt Rule and all those type of things. Well, they went with an offensive lineman. They didn't even go for a defensive player to make an impact with the offensive lineman. So very interesting. The Giants then went with a lineman from Alabama, offensive lineman Evan Neal. Then go for one of the wide receivers, London, a Garrett to help out Daniel Jones. Instead, as I mentioned before, drafted an offensive lineman. Interesting, interesting. I thought that with Daniel Jones having a make or break year that that might be able to entice the Giants to select one of the wide receivers, but they didn't. So another draft selection, you had the Atlanta Falcons using their first draft or their, their uh, number eight uh, selection to draft the first skill player, wide receiver, um, which was uh, Drake London, not Malik, not Malik Willis or another quarterback. Seattle used their number nine pick to select uh, offensive lineman uh, Charlie Cross of Mississippi State. Jets used their 10th pick, Garrett Wilson, Hello, hello, Zach Wilson said. New Orleans selected Chris Olave from Ohio State, and Detroit went and selected Jamison Williams with the 12th pick from Alabama, of course. He could have been the first wide receiver taken by a team, but he suffered an ACL injury his, in the championship in the college football championship game, so he will be out until later on this season. As I mentioned before, surprised that Malik Willis lasted into the third round drafted by Tennessee, the moves that were made in the draft. I think there was a record number of trades in the first round for this draft pick. There really wasn't, as I mentioned before, a sexy pick. There really, as I mentioned before, when you when your best one of your best draft prospects is someone who's supposed to be the safe guy, or when many people were prognosticating that the first player for your uh, for the first player in the NFL draft was going to be taken was a safe pick. It took some of the juice and took some of the uh, allure of those who uh, wanted to watch the draft to uh, maybe go ahead and not pay so closely attention to it. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So when we speak about the NFL draft and the NFL draft is over, the first thing that we want to do is do what? Who won? Who lost? Who won? Who lost? Who did great? Who did horrible? It's always, always, right? The winners and the losers in the NFL draft. And coming out of this draft in 2022, the big winners, the New York Jets, got themselves a cornerback, got themselves a wide receiver, one-two punch in the top ten, drafting Jermaine Johnson the second with a trade to get back into the first round with the number 26 pick. 
was one of the biggest deals in the draft because, my goodness, you take a look at these mock drafts, you take a look at these scouts, you take a look at these people who do this for a living, the Todd Machades and the Mel Kuypers for, uh, do this for a living, and they put in their top prospects. And it's like, ooh, this guy was a second-round projection, but he was able to be drafted in the third round. Or, ooh, this guy was supposed to be a top-15 pick, but because of we don't know, he's now – available with a team that's drafting in the late 20s and all of this type of stuff, right? That's how they determine, like, ooh, man, this guy was unbelievable. Sauce Gardner, the best cornerback in this draft. The New York Jets got him. Garrett Wilson, the best wide receiver in this draft. The New York Jets got him, even with the opportunity of the Atlanta Falcons being in a position for need of a wide receiver. Instead, they selected Drake London. And as I mentioned before, drafting Jermaine Johnson, where many people thought that this guy was supposed to be a top 10, top 15 pick. He falls away. He falls all the way down to number 26. Woohoo! The Baltimore Ravens got themselves a safety in Kyle Hamilton. Many people thought would be a number, of, a top five pick, a top six, six pick. Then later on in the first round, after trading Mark Keys, Hollywood Brown, they got their starting center who slipped a little bit, but is a really good player, the Philadelphia Eagles. The only team, I guess, that you could say right away where it's like, yeah, man, that's we can kind of have some pretty good evidence that this is going to be a good move in terms of acquiring talent and a talent that could be making an impact on the field because he's been doing it for years at the NFL level. Philadelphia Eagles acquiring A.J. Brown, giving him, as I mentioned before, a four-year, one hundred million dollar deal with a 57 million dollar guarantee now we still have to be figuring out the quarterback position because Jalen Hurts at the quarterback I don't know they didn't make the playoffs last year solely based on Jalen Hurts Jalen Hurts was the driver of that car that went to playoff bill speaking about the Philadelphia Eagles can he be the guy who actually drives the car there and plays a bigger role Acquiring A.J. Brown will answer that question a lot better than if they didn't, just like moving forward in Miami with the acquisition of Tyreek Hill and giving him that big money contract. This is going to be the excellent opportunity to see if Tua Tungavaloa is going to be our guy. Because if he doesn't work with this group, then I don't know who we can work with. That's the same thing with the Philadelphia Eagles. If A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts don't click in a league where the quarterbacks rule everything around them, well, this is going to be a situation where it's going to be A.J. Brown's world in determining who stays and who goes. A.J. Brown is the one with the big contract, not Jalen Hurts. So it's going to be up to Jalen Hurts to see if he can work with A.J. Brown, not the other way around. Not the other way around because if Jalen Hurts doesn't uh, work well with A.J. Brown, then Jalen Hurts is going to be out of town and not being able to get down like James Brown. The sex machine? I don't think so because it's 1995. I haven't used any Afro sheen. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. I don't know what I'm talking about. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So here we go. Here, here's one thing that I want to tell everybody. Here's one thing that I always want to get in people in terms of calm down when we're speaking about, my goodness gracious, who won and who lost the day after. You know, we have fan bases going nuts. We have fan bases going crazy in terms of my team did this, my team did that, or my team didn't do this, my team didn't do that. 
because my team drafted this guy in the first round that we're on our way to uh, a better situation for next season or because my team didn't fulfill its main weakness on the squad, which I perceive in the first or second round that all of a sudden it's a blowback or it's going to be a, uh, a, a, a step backwards for us in our organization and our chances of winning a championship. I just, I just say hold on. Hold on for a second because if you take a look at the last 10 years in the NFL draft and if you take a look at the trends, which are highly noticeable, going back even more than 10 years, if you take a look at the players that I just mentioned, if you take a look at the players I just uh, were, were reading out in terms of the top players taken in the draft, Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, uh, Trayvon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson, um, uh, Charles Cross, um, you know, all, all, all these guys, uh, Drake London, there's going to be at least four or five of these guys that just bust. They're just, there's going to be, no, here we go. There's going to be four or five of the top eight or nine or even ten players that I mentioned in terms of, oh, my goodness, this is great. This is awesome. This is fantastic. Can't believe that they went ahead and got this play. Derek Stingley Jr., oh, my goodness, he's going to be a shutdown corner. Sauce Gardner, he's going to be a shutdown corner. You know that he didn't allow a touchdown when he was playing college in Cincinnati. Oh, my goodness, Evan Neal, championship offensive lineman, great guy, played for Nick Saban. We know how great of a coach Nick Saban is, and we know how competitive, and we know how highly skilled and high-advanced playing at Alabama is when you have to go up against those five-star recruits and go up against the best competition in college football playing in the SEC. So, my goodness, Evan Neal should be a lock to be that offensive tackle that's going to be able to uh, get Daniel Jones to reach his potential or to protect the backside of Daniel Jones. So, all of these glass half-full ideas and thoughts and opinions that are coming from most people, from the prognosticators who make six and seven figures to figure this stuff out, to uh, season ticket holding fans, to fans of the game itself, the fantasy football players, for those who bet the uh, futures and the and, and 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 the fantasy guys. I mean, this is this is the whole spectrum of man. He was drafted here, or he was drafted in the first round. He was the number five pick. He was the number two pick. He was the number eight pick. I read Mel Kuyper's analysis on him. I saw the highlights on him. I saw what he did in college. Oh, my goodness. I saw what college he came from. I saw what football program he came from. Man, this guy's going to be awesome. History has shown us time and time and time and time again that is not the case. Trayvon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson, Derek Stingley Jr., Sauce Gardner, Kayvon Thibodeau, Akeem Akwandu, Evan Neal, one of these guys is going to bust. Drake London, one of these guys is going to bust. Charlie Cross, one of these guys is going to bust. Chris Olive, one of these guys is going to bust. It's just inevitable. How many, we don't know, but it's going to be more than a couple. And let's just say out of the top 10 or 11 Let's just say six or seven of them. If history has shown us every, anything over the past 10 years in the NFL draft, by the end of their rookie contracts, four or five of these players who were drafted in the top 10, top 11 in this NFL draft will not be playing with the squad that drafted them. Two or three of these guys, by year five, by year five of their NFL careers, will no longer be in the league or barely hanging on. It could be a Sauce Gardner. 
It could be a Kayvon Thibodeau. It could be an Aiden Hutchinson. It could be a Trayvon Walker. It could be any of these guys. But you know one of these guys is going to be just like that. Barely hanging on. It's probably going to be even more than one. Evan Neal, Drake London, someone is going to be on their second team by the time year five comes up in their NFL career if they make it that long. And there's going to be someone that's going to be drafted that was drafted in the third round, in the fourth round, in the fifth round, that are going to be making Pro Bowls. They're going to be making all NFL teams. That are going to be highly impactful players for teams that are trying to win a championship. That just is the way it goes. And if you take a look, as I mentioned before, the draft classes, speaking of 2012, when we had RG3, the Heisman Trophy winner, coming out of Baylor, who was supposed to revolutionize the quarterback position in the NFL because of his uber-athleticism and his speed and, and that type of thing, and you had Andrew Luck, the highest-regarded prospect coming out of that draft class or the highest prospect of that time since John Elway. What are those guys doing now? Andrew Luck is out of the NFL and RG3 is just barely hanging on. In fact, I don't even think RG3 played for an NFL team last season. I know he's trying to get back into the game, but he's nowhere to be found. Two quarterbacks that were supposed to revolutionize the game of football, not even barely 10 years ago, are no longer in the league, let alone making the type of impact that many people thought they were supposed to be making. And if you take a look at the 2013 draft, you take a look at a Luke Jokel, who was ninth, but the number one draft pick never lived up to being a Hall of Fame left tackle type of player of any type of uh, relevance or any type of impactful significance. You take a look at the third player drafted in the 2013 draft, Deion Jordan by Miami. He turned out to be a flop. D. Miller was drafted with the number ninth pick in 2013, and he played only four seasons. Blake Bortles. You remember Blake Bortles, don't you? Quarterback was a stretch quarterback where it's sort of like, as I mentioned before, hey, you know what, maybe we get him into the right system. He's got the good potential. He's got the good traits. He's got the arm strength. He's got all these things. Let's get him into our system, and let's see what we can do. The man from Central Florida, Blake Bortles, is barely hanging on. Blake Bortles never even came close to living up to his potential. Greg Robinson, the number two pick in the 2014 NFL draft class, he's nowhere to be found. The first two quarterbacks taken in the 2015 NFL draft, Jameis Winston with Tampa, Marcus Mariota of Tennessee. Mariota now getting one more chance to resurrect his career as a starting quarterback, but he'll never be the type of quarterback that Tennessee was hoping for when they drafted him number two, the Heisman Trophy winner out of Oregon. Jameis Winston. Another guy who the number one pick in the uh, 2015 NFL draft. Here was a guy who flamed out, and now he's uh, trying to rehab and get his career back in order with the um, New Orleans Saints. Other top ten players for that draft class, Dante Flower was drafted number three by Jacksonville, did nothing. Kevin White from West Virginia, number seven pick by Chicago, he's out of the league. Five years later, or five years ago, the 2017 NFL Draft, only three of the players selected in the top 11 picks are still with the original team that drafted them. Miles Garrett, the number one pick, he's still with Cleveland. Mike Williams, the number seven, seven pick, is still with the L.A. Chargers, but he's not lighting the world on fire. Christian McCaffrey, 
still with the Carolina Panthers. He was drafted number eight that year, but he can't stay on the field because he gets injured too much. Everybody else from that 2017 NFL draft class that were that was drafted with the top 11 picks are somewhere else. Mitchell Trubisky with the number two pick. He's trying to latch on with the Pittsburgh Steelers after showing that he was not um, ready to be a starting quarterback when Chicago drafted them. When Chicago moved and drafted and traded picks and swaps and all this type of stuff to move up to get Mitchell Trubisky. Solomon Burke of San Francisco, or excuse me, Solomon Thomas, is no longer with the 49ers. Leonard Fournette, the number four pick drafted that year by Jacksonville. He's playing in Tampa. Corey Davis of Tennessee, he's trying to latch on with the um, New York Jets. He was a bust in Tennessee after being the number five draft pick in 2017. Jamal Adams was traded from the Jets to the Seattle Seahawks. He was the number six pick that year. Number nine pick from Washington, John Ross, the speedster, remember him, was drafted by Cincinnati. He's no longer in the league anymore. Again, five years ago. And if you take a look at other players that were drafted of really importance, who are making a name for themselves in that draft class. The number 10 pick was Patrick Mahomes. No need to go into discussion about how great he's been. Deshaun Watson, ditto. T.J. Watts, the reigning defensive player of the year, he was drafted number 30 in the first round of the 2017 NFL draft. But take a look. Cooper Cup with the number 69 pick, third round. Chris Godwin with the 84th pick, third round. George Kittle, tight end for the San Francisco 49ers was the 146th player taken in the 2017 NFL Draft. Aaron Jones was drafted 182, a fifth-round draft pick. And now Aaron Jones is one of the most versatile running backs in the NFL. You take a look at the 2018 NFL Draft class. Baker Mayfield, that was the year of the quarterback. Remember when Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, and Lamar Jackson, all of those guys? Well, outside of Jackson... And outside of Allen, who else is there? Who else is doing anything? Baker Mayfield is looking for a team. No one wants that guy, mainly because of his salary, among other things. Sam Darnold is hanging on by a threat of being a starting quarterback in this league because Carolina couldn't swing a deal to get to Sean Watson. Josh Rosen, I don't even think he's in the league anymore. So all of these things is to say, man, you know what, with the first round, because we don't know for the most part, after maybe halfway through the second round, we don't know who was who. We don't know what is what. Uh, we, we, we don't know the offensive guard from Holy Cross. We don't know the defensive tackle from South Dakota State. We don't know the tight end from Washington State. We don't know anything. In, in, in rounds four, five, six, seven, stop it. Stop it. If you're going to sit up there talking about, oh, yeah, man. Woo, man, we got that offensive guard from uh, Mississippi State in the fourth round. Woo-hoo-hoo. Pro Bowl time, baby. That's what I'm talking about. You know. You know doggone well you don't know anything about those players. Stop. Stop. But if you take a look at the all-NFL team, right, you take a look, 10 of the 13 players who were on the team who were selected first team all-NFL, 10 of them were not first-round draft picks. Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, running backs that made the all-NFL team, second-round draft picks. Wide receiver Cooper Cup, third-round pick. Devontae Adams, Debussy, uh, Samuel, second-round picks. Mark Andrews, third-round pick. Travis Kelsey, third-round pick, all NFL tight ends. Offensive line, Joe uh, Benito was a second-round pick. Center J.C. Kelsey was a sixth-round pick. Six players who made it from the defensive side of the ball 
were not drafted in the first round. So for me, man, it's a situation where, look, I, okay, we get it. Of course, there's first-round picks who are, you know, who, who turn, to be, turn out to be great players and all those type of things, no doubt about it. But you don't win Super Bowls by your first-round picks alone. And as I've shown many times, maybe the exception this year being the Los Angeles Rams when you had the talent that they had going up against, you know, a Cincinnati team that had the number one pick as far as Joe Burrow as their quarterback and the wide receiver Jamar Chase being a high first-round draft pick. But for the most part, man, you know, you don't win football. You don't win football championships. You don't build that culture of winning. You don't, you don't build dynasties. You don't build opportunities for a team to win multiple championships by continuing to hit on first-round picks. It just doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. You build your draft. You build your team. You build your depth. You build all of those things in round three, four, five, six, seven, second-round picks and that type of thing. Even if with the situation where if you have yourself an all-pro really great football player who might be nearing the end of his prime is going to be looking for a fat contract extension in a couple of years. This is the time you use your third-round pick, your fourth-round pick, your fifth-round pick, your sixth-round pick to go ahead and start drafting his replacement because you look down the road and you say, well, you know, okay, we're going, to t- we're going to have to take care of this position. We're going to have to take care of that position. We're going to have to take care of these positions before we even start thinking about what's going to be happening with our wide receiver, with our running back, with our tight end, with our quarterback. So we better start making the proper moves through the draft right now to go ahead and get him groomed so inevitably when it comes to the point where, look, man, we just can't afford to re-sign you. There's going to be a team out there that's going to be offering him more money, better opportunities in terms of financially. We just can't do it the blow will be mitigated by the drafting of the player in the fourth or the fifth round that you've groomed over the years to go ahead and take the place and not replicate and not duplicate or not supersede what that player did that you lost, but have the blow not be as significant if that great football player, whoever it may be, would go in free agency and go somewhere else. So, yeah, man, the, the, the draft is extremely interesting to me. The draft is something that I always look forward to. Lewis Riddick, when he's doing the draft, man, I, I, I get the deal with him. Lewis Riddick is a guy where he's kind of like, look, I know somebody in the third round, fourth round, fifth round is going to hit. I mean, that's just the way it is. That's, you know one of these guys is going to hit. So what Lewis Riddick is going to do is he is going to pump up. He is going to champion – their strength and their weaknesses and what they could be and all that type of stuff, just in case, just in case these guys become all pros, just in case these guys become Super Bowl MVPs, just in case these guys become the best at their position. Because he knows one of these guys are. So Louis, Louis, he's just going to go ahead. I'll leave Mel Kuyper to the analysis of this is the reason why this guy who has all of this talent, who has all of these attributes, who have all of this potential – was not is wasn't drafted in the in the first three or four rounds. This is the reasons why his I don't know his hand placement is not right. His uh, he he doesn't run the correct routes. His hands are a little shaky. All of this type of stuff. I'll let Mel I'll let Mel Kiper 
be the glass half empty guy. Lewis is going to be the glass half full guy in terms of, yeah, he might have been this, he might do that, and he might not be great at this, and he might not be able to do that. But I tell you one thing, this is a guy where, you know, he has the right mindset. He played in this many games. He has an IQ of this. Uh, I saw him play against this Power 5 school, and he was unbelievable, and he was fantastic. So if you get this guy in the right system, I'm telling you right now, this is a guy who could be unleashed as a guy who's going to be the next Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, Walter Payton, Y.A. Tittle, Don Hudson, and everything else mixed in between. So Lewis is like, I'm going on the side of he's going to hit, while Mel is on the side of this is the reason why he is where he is draft-wise in the third, fourth, or fifth round. But the NFL draft in Las Vegas has concluded. Wasn't sexy. Wasn't uh, quarterback dominated. But uh, nevertheless, it was a pretty interesting NFL draft. And welcome back to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Last segment of the podcast. Last segment of the program. I want to thank you so much again for taking the time to watch my YouTube channel, Wendell's World of Sports, the YouTube episode of Wendell's World of Sports. Again, if you want to subscribe to my channel, I would appreciate it. If you want to like this video, I would appreciate it. And if you're listening to this podcast, whether it be on Spotify or iTunes, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, I appreciate that special dedication to you. If you could just go ahead and download, subscribe, rate, review, that would be absolutely positively awesome. So um, let's go ahead and get into the NBA playoffs if we shall. Man, the second round of the playoffs is happening. I am recording this during the time. In fact, I have the Miami Heat Philadelphia 76ers game on right now, so I can't give you a play-by-play, blow-by-blow of what's going on because right now it is halftime with the uh, 76ers and the Heat in a uh, pretty close game. If you don't know, then let me tell you, Joel Embiid, the monster center for the the 76ers, is going to be out indefinitely with a concussion and an orbital bone injury. Um, man, I tell you, it's always something with Joel, isn't it, man? I mean, every time, if you're a 76ers fan, it's a situation where it's kind of like every time Joel hits the floor, you're like, oh, my goodness, your kind of heart kind of stops and your breath leaves your body because you're thinking about a foot. You're speaking about or thinking about an ankle. You're thinking about a knee, one of the injuries that has plagued Joel in terms of him stopping him from being truly the most dominant player in the NFL, in the NBA, not just dominant big man in the NBA, but I'm also speaking about dominant player. Joel, along with Nikola Jokic, who I think after game five 
against the Golden State Warriors probably cemented his status of being the MVP of the league. But, um, you know, Joel had an MVP caliber season. You could make a strong argument that if you take the totality of both their games and everything that they do offensively and defensively as far as the center position is concerned, that you could make a strong case for Joel Embiid to be the MVP of the league or at least the best center of the best center in the game because Giannis Adenikupo, the way he's playing, is also making a strong case to say, hey, man, before y'all start, you know, debating about who's first and who's second in the MVP race between Nikola and Joel, uh, you guys have been paying attention to what I'm doing because I have been fabulous. So um, the most dominant player in the NBA, big man Joel Embiid, um, out indefinitely. And now it's going to be a situation where James Harden, James Harden, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Um, I don't know what to expect from James Harden. I really don't. I, I don't, let, let, let's put it away. I don't know what my expectations should be for James Harden. I don't know. Because the guy who won the MVP in Houston, the guy with the high usage rate in Houston, the guy that could manipulate the offensive end from the uh, from a scoring standpoint, I think that guy is gone, man. I think the totality, I think the overall player that James Harden was three, four, five years ago, that guy is gone. And I think that guy is long gone. I don't think it's a matter of him getting in shape. I don't think it's a matter of him getting acclimated with his new teammates. I don't think it's the situation where he needs to get acclimated to a new time zone, a new environment, a new team, a new coach, a new scheme. No, 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 no. I just, just think it's a situation where James Harden is 32 years old and you don't have the same athleticism. You don't have the same burst. You don't have the same first step as you did when you were 26, 27, 28, even if you are a workout, keeping, your shell, keeping yourself in shape type of freak. Two things that James Harden has never been. A guy who pays the minute detail of keeping himself in the optimum shape. I mean, James Harden is not that guy who's going to be a vegan. James Harden is not that guy who's going to be sleeping in an oxygen uh, chamber. James Harden is not that guy who's going to eschew going out and having a good time and doing types of, uh, you know, happy, happy, good, good, joy, joy type of things when he's in Vegas or when he's in South Beach or when he's in L.A. or when he's in Atlanta. That's not James Harden. James Harden burns both ends of the candle. And which when you're 26, 27, 28, you might be able to deal with that. But now he's 32. And the game that James Harden uh, possessed, the totality of the game, both athleticism and from a skill position, that game is no longer there. And unfortunately for Philadelphia 76ers fans who thought that they were going to be getting that James Harden when he came over in that trade from the Brooklyn Nets, I'm sadly to say that that's not going to be happening. The key now is that James Harden reinventing himself for his lack of burst, for his lack of getting by people with the ease of what he used to be, is that going to be good enough for the 76ers to withstand a formidable challenge in the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. The Miami Heat, who's been playing really good basketball, and James Harden doing it without Joel Embiid, a guy who, when asked to carry the load mainly by himself in the playoffs, has not been able to, uh, has not been able to put his team on his back and carry him to heights, which many people thought that he could 
back in his prime, its athletic prime in Houston. Now it's going to be a situation where you could maybe say, especially after the series against Toronto, that the three most important players for the Philadelphia 76ers in order is Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, and then James Harden. Because at least Tyrese Maxey gives you that athleticism that could cause Miami Heat some problems. A team that in Miami that can switch defensively is, does an excellent job in switching when you have such players as Bam on the Bayou who can switch from a big to a small, when you have someone like Jimmy Butler who's still at the age of 32 one of the more versatile players as far as offense and defense is concerned, when you have a guy like P.J. Tucker who can bang with a low post player and still do an adequate job in terms of keeping a perimeter player in front of him for the most part. So the defensive philosophy and the, uh, and, and the game plan that Eric Spolstra can put together with the players that he possesses as far as defense is concerned with the Miami Heat, I think the only one that could really do some damage with, a, with a Joel and being out is Tyreek Maxey. I think Harden might able, be able to do it, but not on a consistent basis. Because, again, he doesn't have that burst. And with the way that they're calling the fouls now or the lack of the way they're not calling the fouls now, James Harden is not going to be getting those type of cheap fouls that he used to get back in his heyday in Houston. So is Harden going to be that guy that's just going to have to we're, – we're just if you're a Philadelphia 76ers fan, is James Harden going to be that guy where you're just saying, all right, man, just give us, give us 19 points and 13 assists and five boards and play a – and, and try a little bit on defense, and we'll and we'll be great. Just just keep us somewhere close until Joel comes back. I mean, if we're not going to be able to beat Miami on the road, at least do enough. At least do enough to keep us afloat at home, so Joel can come back and rescue us. With Embiid being out for an indefinite amount of time, the question is going to be: Is that going to be possible? How much, and then we're going to be asking guys like Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey and Danny Green and others, but Matisse Thibel, to step up their game both offensively and defensively when you're speaking about Maxey, when you're speaking about uh, Tobias Harris moving up their level of play on the offensive end to um, help mitigate the loss of Joel Embiid and also to uh, you know take care of some of the lost expectations of what James Harden was supposed to bring to us from an offensive standpoint. Okay, we thought James was going to be that guy that could go for 37 points. Well, you know, by the looks of things, he's only going to be giving us anywhere between 17 and 25 points. Who's going to be able to make up that difference of anywhere between 10 and 19 points on uh, every other day basis when we're in the playoffs? It's going to be Maxie, it's going to be Harris, and it's got to be others. We're not going to be asking Tyrese Maxey to. We're not going to be asking Tyre, Tyrese Maxey to say, "Hey, you know, uh, you're averaging 22 points a game, but you know, we thought Harden was going to be averaging 30. So could you just up your scoring average eight more points?" No, it's got to be a situation where, look, Maxey, if we were expecting James Harden to average 30 points in this series or 32 points in this series, and you, Tyrese, is averaging 22 points and Tobias Harris is averaging 17. Is there any way humanly possible that possibly that both of you guys could raise your scoring average up five points and then maybe we'll get the remnants somewhere else in terms of, in terms of uh, maybe someone like uh, uh, Matisse Thibel 
or, a, or, or someone else who might play a vital role, a, a, a Paul Reed, a Paul Millsap, somebody who can come off and give us a couple of buckets to make up for the loss? Because one player is not going to be able to do it in terms of James Harden. And, hell, maybe James Harden could turn back the clock a game or two and give us a vintage performance. But as I've seen right now, man, that's, that's not going to be happening. And, again, when you play a team as disciplined and so comfortable in their skin of what they do, knowing what their roles are and performing the roles that they are given by the coaching staff in the Miami Heat, it's going to be a tough series for the Philadelphia 76ers with or without Joel Embiid. Even if Joel was 100%, um, this was going to be a tough, tall task for the Philadelphia 76ers, the way that A, James Harden is playing, and now B, you take the injury to Joel Embiid into the equation. And you're speaking about a Miami Heat team who's balanced, who's disciplined, and right now they're playing some very good basketball, and they're doing this without Kyle Lowry, who uh, people are saying that should be back by game two. He's missed the uh, last few games because of a hamstring injury. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wall. We're so glad that you could be with us. So <coughs> take a look. Saw the um, game on Sunday between the Boston Celtics and the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee winning 101-89. What do you make of this one? Number one, Milwaukee showing you why they're the defending champions. Also showing you um, that championship uh, mentality in terms of just really smacking Really, not just smacking. They punched the Boston Celtics in the mouth. And it seemed like Boston wasn't ready for it. And I, I think what happened was, I think that's what happened when you, played the, when you played the Brooklyn Nets for four games. I think there were situations where it was like, wow, wait a minute now, for the first time in a couple of weeks, man, we're playing against a team that's actually playing some pretty rough, tough, and rugged defense. Wait a minute, you mean Jason Tatum isn't going to look like the best player on the planet over the past five years when he's going up against players on the Milwaukee Bucks who can actually play defense, who actually have a defensive scheme, who actually has a rim protector of Brooke Lopez, who has somebody like Giannis who can guard anywhere between the small forward, power forward, and center position. When you're running out a front court which features 6'11 Bobby Portis, 7-foot Brooke Lopez, and 6'10, 6'11 Giannis Adenokupo, who is a whirling dervish of a defensive player, great help defender who can help anywhere on the court. All of a sudden now, we're, we're not going up against Andre Drummond. All of a sudden, the Boston Celtics figured out rather quickly that, wait a minute, we're not going up against um, Kyrie Irving. We're not going up against Patty Mills. We're not going up against Seth Curry. We're actually going up against players who are physical. We're going up against players who are big. We're going up against players who are from a disciplined defensive philosophy standpoint. And we're going up against a team in the Milwaukee Bucks, which are a much, much, much better defensive team and team in general than the Brooklyn Nets. And as a situation where it was like, hey, man, you know what? When you go from being guarded by Kyrie Irving to being guarded by Drew Holiday and you're not kind of used to that, it takes a little while to be like, oh, okay. So I think, you know, you saw Jalen Brown. He didn't shoot well. Jason Tatum, his shots at the rim were being altered. He was starting to get frustrated. He was feeling the uh, frustration from the lack of non-calls, which – you know, he would probably get when he was playing in that series against Brooklyn, not having to face the uh, front court that he did. You saw that, uh, you know, the, the Celtics didn't shoot well. 
and they weren't getting to the rim. They weren't hitting mid-range. And it was a situation where, man, you know, you weren't shooting well from the three-point line. Jalen Brown didn't shoot well from the three-point line. Um, Marcus Smart didn't shoot well from the three-point line. And that was all you were given because you dare not venture into the land of Lopez, Adenacupo, and Portis. Then it was a situation where, hey, man, the Milwaukee Bucks were ready to rip, roar, and, run, and rumble. And the Boston Celtics were still in first-round Brooklyn Nets mode. So moving forward, second uh, game coming up tomorrow, I expect an entirely different Boston Celtics team. I expect the Boston Celtics team to have a much more aggressive approach, a much more angry approach, a much more combative approach. And when I say combative, not in, I'm, I'm not talking about swinging, I'm not talking about dirty shots or something like that, but I'm, I'm talking about the ability to engage the ability to uh, rebound, to take charges, to do the uh, little thing, to take a hard foul and go to the foul line and give a hard foul and send the Bucks to, a, uh, to the uh, foul line. I think this is going to be a situation where, for the first time, really, the Boston Celtics in this playoff series are going to be playing another level of playoff basketball. Is it going to make a difference when you're speaking about the uh, Milwaukee Bucks and the way that they're playing right now, despite... Not having Chris Middleton, we'll find out on Tuesday. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Golden State Warriors winning their first game over the Memphis Grizzlies. Very entertaining 117-116 game. Draymond Green, the flagrant foul, too. I think when people were speaking about, man, you know, reputation and should he have been, I mean, the way that these uh, referees are calling this game has been so inconsistent that every little thing, every little minute evidence that there might be something that might uh, have them look at the monitor. They're going to be doing it. I mean, the situation, the way that the games are being called right now in the uh, NBA playoffs, it really didn't surprise me that this was a flagrant two by Draymond. I, I've, I've seen worse in these playoffs, so it's been very inconsistent. But uh, huge win for the uh, Golden State Warriors. I mean, going, going down the stretch, showing their championship middle, despite the fact that I thought in the fourth quarter, Steph made a, missed a lot of very makeable uh, three-point shots. I thought that his hero ball shooting may be a little bit premature, but you win the basketball game, and he's Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all time, so Wendell, go fuck yourself on that. Understood. But, um, you know, Jordan Poole, a guy who is just becoming – I don't know if you want to call him a superstar, but, I mean, you know, when you're coming off the bench and you're going 12 for 20 and you're scoring 30-something points and you're having the impact that, the, uh, that he has on this team and, again, winning this game without Draymond Green, who was kicked out in the uh, first quarter of this contest, man, that's big. That's big with the Warriors getting home court van advantage with this win. For the Memphis Grizzlies, look, Jaron Jackson Jr. on both ends of the – court was unbelievable rim protection fantastic a three-point shooting out of this world had his best all-around game of the playoffs and actually uh didn't foul out so so good for him Morant turned it on late in the game established the established uh the fact in this series that for the most part John Morant cannot be guarded now Curry stripped the ball near the end of the game and Morant missed that layup that would have won the game for the Grizzlies, but, you know, in the fourth quarter, the penetration, setting up opportunities for himself to score and for others to score, it just showed that uh, Ja could get what he wants from an offensive standpoint, more so than, say, any other player on the court. 
Um, but uh, you know, uh, Aaron. Uh, uh, oh my goodness, the um, who was it? Allen, uh, number twenty-four, the guy who's always scaling from Memphis. The name escapes me right now, but he had a poor shooting game. Uh, Desmond Bain had a poor shooting game. So this was a situation where I don't know if Memphis is so has so much swag or believe in themselves so much that they don't realize that the losing of game one. I don't know if their swag. I don't know if their confidence lends that to be a area for concern or an area of uh, positivity moving forward in terms of it does, it's not going to phase them. The fact that they lost this game, and I'm quite sure those guys are all in the locker room saying we should have won this game, we should have won this game, we should have won this game. This is not going to be a situation that's going to be a deterrent for the Memphis Grizzlies to move on forward. I think they're going to win game two. I think they're going to come out like a ball out of fire. And I think it's going to be a situation where, hey, man, it's going to be Taylor Jenkins, the coach, somewhere in that first quarter, second quarter, that's going to have to say, fellas, calm down. Because I think, I think Memphis is going to come out in game two with the game plan to knock out the Warriors early. And if, and if Golden State can survive that initial onslaught, in terms of we're, we're looking for the first-round knockout, and we're looking for it in devastating fashion. If they can survive that, then we'll see the mentality, we'll see the experience of this Memphis Grizzlies team moving forward when they exert all of this energy, and the crowd's going to be rocking, the crowd's going to be rolling, and then they're going to be looking up with five minutes left to go in the second quarter, and the lead for them is only going to be four. And they're going to be huffing and puffing. Dylan Brooks? Dylan Brooks? Dylan Brooks. Shot two for 11. See, the name came to me. But, you know, when they look around and they're huffing and puffing because they went for that knockout and they look at this and it's only a four-point game and the Warriors are sitting there going, then I wonder what the mentality is going to be if that scenario comes to fruition. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What are we ending with? Yes. Oh, yes, yes. The game that's going to be on tonight, the Phoenix Suns and the Dallas Mavericks. Um, Good. Hmm. What can I say about Phoenix? What, what what would you say about Phoenix's series with New Orleans? I mean, because everybody was focusing on New Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleans. What an incredible story. Willie Green, this is great. And all the storylines tended to veer the spotlight in terms of the attention tended to veer toward the plucky New Orleans Pelicans, the coming out party for Brandon Ingram and, you know, Willie Jones establishing himself as one of the really great young coaches in the, the NBA and, and all of these storylines. Well, the bottom line was in six games, the Phoenix Suns hard fought six games. The Phoenix Suns moved on. So do you see any lingering effects or do you see any type of uh, situation where you take a look at a Phoenix Suns team who battled with a plucky 30-something win New Orleans Pelicans team going up against a fully healed, rip-roaring, and ready-to-go, motivated to uh, do some damage to Luka Dantich, a newfound, not just toy, but a newfound, you know, uh, uh, weapon of mass destruction in Jalen Brunson, what he did with the Utah Jazz. And you're taking a look at a Dallas Mavericks team who's built sort of like the last Dallas Mavericks team that won a championship beating Miami uh, back in the day when you had Dirk and you had Jason Kidd and you had all... Uh, Jason Terry and you had Tyson Chandler and you had that superstar surrounded by players who knew their role, wasn't going to deviate from their role and were very good with the role that they gave. 
So you take a look at this team right now with Dallas, and you take a look at the uber superstar being Luka Doncic playing like one. You take a look at the sidekick, Dalen Brunson, giving him the opportunity to uh, do his thing in the score. You have uh, other players on that team doing what they need to do. If anybody, I think, and you know, Golden State could maybe put up their hands and say, excuse me, you're not going to be mentioning us as the number one threat for the Phoenix Suns. But I think this is going to be a long and hard-fought series between the Dallas Mavericks and the Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns. And I'm interested to see the the game within the game between Devin Booker, who was a top five MVP candidate, Luka Dantich, who near the end of the season was playing like the fourth best player in the NBA. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see that dynamic. I want to see which one imposes as well. Now, because of the responsibility, <coughs> excuse me, because of the responsibility that um, Luca has, he is going to be asked to do more than Devin Booker is in terms of the importance, in terms of the impact that he'll have on his team. But I'm waiting to see, I'm interested to see if Devin Booker can elevate his game even another level from last season, see what he learned from his experience with the USA Olympic team. And now when you're speaking about a team that is dangerous at the Dallas Mavericks to go ahead and uh, apply all the lessons that he learned from Coach Pop and Steve Kerr and Jay Wright and Kevin Durant and those guys, apply that to a series like this where you're going to need Devin Booker to be outstanding, to be an outstanding Dallas Mavericks team with an uber superstar in Luka Dantich and... No, you're also speaking about how much longer can Chris Ball be playing like this, who I think as far as if you're taking a look at the first round, I think there was Jason Tatum, I think there was Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I think then it was Chris Paul in terms of the, 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 the best players, the most impactful players in the first round of the playoffs. Chris Paul was out flipping standing. But Chris Paul is also going to be, what, 36, 37 years old in a couple of weeks? I think it's 37 how much more what how much more of a performance that he gave in game 6 against new orleans on top of game 1 and game 3 how much how much are they going to be asking chris paul to go ahead and deliver that type of deal i mean if you can have chris paul give you 16 points and 14 assists cool but man if you're going to be asking chris paul to kind of bail you out against Dallas, the way that he was asked. Now, Devin Booker wasn't there. So, you know, Chris Paul shouldered more of the responsibility as far as scoring is concerned. But, man, you can't ask Chris Paul to duplicate, replicate what he did against New Orleans going up now against uh, Dallas. DeAndre Ayton, time for you to uh, show that, you know what, I want a max, max, max contract. If I ain't going to get in the Phoenix, I'm going to get it somewhere else. you got to play like that monster. you got to play... Like you're the like you're the Embiid of the West in terms of your impact, which is going to be on the team. So that'll be good that way. All right, I'm out of here. Good, gone. I'm uh, thankful for you guys listening to my podcast. Remember, listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, download, subscribe, rate, review. Most importantly, enjoy. And if you're watching this on YouTube, yes, ladies, I am really this good looking. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel and like this video. And even leave a comment talking about, oh, my goodness, I thought I was watching a 1985 
uh, YouTube episode starring Denzel Washington. Woohoo! So, you know, all those good things. So, you know, as I, as I leave, always remember, always remember, always remember, be a good person. Make sure that you have a conversation with those from a different background, race, gender, religious background, political background, different side of the globe. Make sure that you have a conversation with someone to learn, to educate yourself, shut up, privilege gone, learn, listen, so we can take the lessons of humanity, we can take the lessons of love and peace and unity amongst all those with good hearts, all those with nothing but love and happiness and respect in their hearts to give to others, so we can start spreading that around because most definitely, as what Stevie Wonder saying, what the world needs now is more love. So. That's what I'm talking about. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Until I see you next time, have a good one. Get me out of here with some music.